Hello, I'm your host, Anna Danino, and welcome to episode 17 of the Crime Bistro Podcast. This show gazes into the thrillingly twisted world of true crime, examining real cases while we share in a passion for crime and coffee alike. For this episode, I'm enjoying a white chocolate pumpkin cold brew, so grab yourself a fresh brew and let's get into the strange death of Jelani Day. On August 24th of 2021, Jelani Day failed to show up for class and skipped a meeting that he had planned with the Director of Clinical Education at his graduate school program. He was reported missing the next day, and investigators were confused to find his car sometime later abandoned in a wooded area over an hour away from where he lived. Jelani's body was discovered on the bank of the Illinois River on September 3rd, and the manner of death is still undetermined, though the investigation is still ongoing. This is a prime example of a case with questions but no answers, as the family continues to press police to investigate the possibility of foul play, and has done incredible work themselves to try and get justice for Jelani. Jelani's full name was Jelani Jesse Javante Day, and he was born on June 15th of 1996 in Danville, Illinois. His parents were Carmen and Save Day. He was born into a very large family and was the second youngest of five siblings. He had two brothers named DeAndre and Save, and two sisters named Akara and Zena. His family was religious and very active in their church, St. Synagogue Church of God in Christ. Jelani was part of the church choir, as well as participating in purity classes. He joined the church's drill team and much more, and he was especially close with his mother, Carmen. Jelani was known for being a very good person, donating bone marrow to his father who had cancer once he discovered that he was a match. He has also been described as being smart, driven, and outspoken. In addition to this, he was very athletic and ran for the track and field team in college, as well as being an avid swimmer, swimming for his high school team, which will become important later on. He went to college at the University of Alabama A&M in Huntsville, Alabama to study speech pathology. He joined a fraternity there, the New Epsilon chapter of Omega Sci-Fi, where he made a lot of friends. And his ultimate goal was to become a doctor so that he could help people, and he graduated from Alabama A&M at the top of all of his classes, continuing on to grad school at Illinois State University, where he was also studying speech pathology, which is a very difficult and very competitive field. Jelani actually became interested in speech pathology when he was really young. A childhood friend of his whose name was Paul had speech issues, which he was bullied for, and Jelani decided that he wanted to help others like this friend. He would stand up for Paul and help him out when he was having difficulty communicating with others, another of many examples of him just being a very kind person. 2021 was Jelani's first year attending grad school, and fall of 2021 was his first semester there. He was living in an off-campus apartment in Bloomington. He remained very close with his family, and even though he was living in Bloomington, he would often make the drive to Danville to visit them about an hour and 15-minute trip. He also talked to his mother on the phone every day, sometimes multiple times a day. They were constantly in contact, and if one of them missed a call or a text, they would just get back to the other person as soon as they could. He had also gone into Chicago just two days before he went missing to visit his family and friends, according to his cousin Ariel Davis. Ariel has spoken about Jelani since, saying, quote, There's never a dull moment with Jelani. He was always outgoing and always making everything fun. He had a really great spirit, end quote. On August 24th of 2021, Jelani did not show up to class, which was extremely out of character for him. 
He was always on top of his academics, not to mention being in grad school missing even one class can put you very far behind. He was also supposed to meet with Kara Boaster on that day, the director of clinical education at Illinois State. The day before, which was August 23rd, the two of them had been in contact about some of his classwork and had been texting that night, and Jelani was supposed to meet with her before class on the 24th but never arrived there. Kara did text Jelani after he missed this meeting, however he didn't respond, but this didn't immediately alarm her since she knew he had class at 1pm so she could just meet with him there, but when he didn't come to class she knew that something had to be terribly wrong. Kara reached out to the university police that same day and he was officially reported missing on August 25th by his family. Carmen, Jelani's mother, realized that the last time she had heard from him was the 23rd, which was then two days prior, and this was extremely out of character for their family. She had been so busy on the 24th planning an upcoming trip that she hadn't even realized then that she hadn't heard from Jelani all day, and she has also said that she kind of just assumed one of his siblings had heard from him on the 24th, but unfortunately no one had. Jelani's older brother went with the police to search his apartment, but when they arrived, everything looked completely normal, and the only thing that wasn't there was his 2010 white Chrysler 300. Police asked for the help of the public, asking if anyone had seen the car between the 24th at 9.15am and the 26th at 4.20pm. The investigation started promptly on the 25th, and they were able to find his last known whereabouts using security camera footage taken on August 24th. The first sighting of him was at 7.20am at the Bone Student Center on campus. Here he was seen wearing black pants, a black belt, a blue button-up shirt, black dress shoes, and a blue disposable mask. The second sighting was at 9.12am when he was seen entering the Beyond Hello dispensary on Veterans Parkway in Bloomington, and in this footage his missing car can be seen behind him in the background. Inside the dispensary he was also seen, and he did look at the security camera, so his entire face is visible and it's really easy to definitely confirm his identity. He was wearing a completely different outfit here, a blue Detroit Lions baseball cap, a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, light colored shorts, and black shoes with white soles. And people have speculated about why he had changed his clothes, especially since he knew that he had to go back to campus for class, wondering if he had maybe changed because he knew he wouldn't be going back, However, it is completely understandable that someone would change into something more comfortable in between classes, especially since he still had about four hours before that class at 1pm. It is important to note that police had no reason to suspect there was any foul play involved here. On August 25th, he was just considered to be a missing person, and the police actually suggested early on to Jelani's family that he was maybe under too much stress and had essentially just left to get away for a bit. His mother has said from the beginning of the investigation that she thought there was a complete lack of urgency from the Bloomington PD. Two days after he went missing, Jelani's car was found in Peru, Illinois, a small city about an hour north of Bloomington. It was discovered by the Peru Police Department in the woods south of the Illinois Valley YMCA, near a parking lot but not in the parking lot, more on a wooded path that was just a dead end. And Jelani's mother has since said that there was no reason she could think of why he would have been in Peru. They didn't even know anyone who lived there. In the car was the outfit that Jelani had been wearing at the dispensary. However, his cell phone and wallet were missing, and the license plates had been removed. After the car was found, Bloomington PD announced to the public that Jelani had gone missing under unexplained suspicious circumstances, and asked if anyone in Peru had seen Jelani or the car 
from the 24th to the 26th of August. Someone did come forward, a person who lived in LaSalle and had a security camera on their home, and in the footage from August 25th, a young black male was seen knocking on their door and then walking away when no one answered. However, police were later able to confirm that this was not Jelani. Circling back to the efforts of the police department, which in the initial days of the investigation were especially uninspired, on the same day that the car was found, Jelani's mother Carmen received a phone call from a detective who told her that unless he heard anything, he would connect with her again the following week as he was heading home for the weekend. Jelani was reported missing on a Wednesday, and this call happened two days later on that Friday. Carmen decided that she was going to have to take matters into her own hands, and she started her own search for her son. She posted on social media asking for help starting at the end of August, saying that her family was going to Peru to search for Jelani, and asking anyone who could to join in. She has said that she had no idea how to get anyone to even see these posts, but she just knew that she had to try. They also started a GoFundMe to help them get resources for the search, which is still active, and Carmen announced a $25,000 reward for anyone who had information that could lead to finding Delani. The family created their Facebook page on August 31st that they are still very active on, and that will be linked in the show notes for this episode. On Wednesday, September 1st, Carmen and her family held their first search, going to each place that they knew Jelani had been. His wallet was found on September 2nd, however, there have been some conflicting stories, so I don't know who the wallet was found by or exactly where it was discovered. Near the wallet, an ISU lanyard was also found, but there isn't a way to confirm whether or not this actually belonged to Jelani. On September 3rd, over 100 people from Bloomington gathered at the Bone Student Center at ISU to support the search. Carmen addressed this crowd, thanking them for the support, as well as telling everyone about just what a great person her son was. The family also had a search the following day at 10 a.m., which they had posted about to the Facebook page, and this search was starting in the parking lot of the Peru YMCA. The police were also searching on September 4th in LaSalle County, which is where Peru is located, and at 9.47 a.m., the search team found an unidentified body off the south bank of the Illinois River, near the 251 Bridge, only about two miles away from where Jelani's car was found. Unfortunately, at the time, police said that it would take them days, even weeks, to identify the body, based off of the state of decomposition, which was very severe considering that the average temperatures at the time had been sitting around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. The police went for three weeks without giving any updates, and on September 20th, they finally made an announcement that they were still investigating, but that they hadn't identified the body yet. This started to get very frustrating for Carmen, and she was pretty vocal about these frustrations. She felt that the media wasn't giving the case enough attention, as well as the police themselves just weren't working hard enough. And at this point, I do completely understand her frustrations. In the three weeks since the body had been found, the police had reached out to her with updates zero times, and she had even called the Peru PD twice without receiving a single callback for the messages that she left. Carmen decided that she had to hire a private investigator to help with the case, which was good because it offered the option for people to contact the private investigator and leave a tip anonymously. However, on September 23rd, the body was unfortunately identified as Jelani Day, using dental records and DNA. The family posted on their Facebook page, asking that people continue to pray for their family and saying, quote, 
At this point, there are more questions than answers surrounding Jelani's disappearance and death, and that is where we will focus our energy. As of this moment, we do not know what happened to Jelani, and we will not stop until we do, end quote. And it is important to note here that at this point, Jelani's car, clothing, wallet, and body had all been found in separate locations. The LaSalle County Coroner's Office released an official report on October 25th of 2021, and there were actually two autopsies performed on Jelani's body. The first was by forensic pathologist Scott Denton on September 5th, and he concluded that the cause of death was drowning, finding no evidence that there was any pre-death trauma to the body prior to Jelani going into the river. The second was done by an independent pathologist named Sergio Saratella, who was hired by Catholic priest and social activist Father Michael Fledger, who got involved after he found out how the case had essentially been ignored by media and by police, and he was very helpful also donating $10,000 to the family. Before performing his own autopsy, Sergio Saratella did not read the report from the first coroner so that he could remain objective, and this autopsy also showed that the cause of death was drowning, but that it was impossible to say if there were any external injuries prior to the drowning. The second autopsy did have some discrepancies, however, and the two reported the condition of the body very differently, which is interesting. It's also important to say that drowning being the cause of death does not determine the manner of death and can't tell if foul play was somehow involved. On October 8th, the case got some attention when a report from the Chicago Sun-Times was released with just so much misinformation that it started creating a ton of false rumors. In this report, the article says that during the second autopsy, the pathologist found that the jawbone had been, quote, sawed out and that there was no brain or organs. This made a lot of people think that Jelani had been found without his organs, but this was taken severely out of context, and what really happened was that the organs were removed during the first autopsy and had not been put back. On October 11th, in response to this, the family's attorney, Hallie Besner, went on Fox 32 News to clear up the confusion. However, the damage had been done, and rumors that this was a case of organ harvesting have been widespread. All of the news confusion happened before the official report was released, so again, on October 25th, Coroner Richard Plock released the official report stating the cause of death was drowning and the manner of death was unknown. He also clarified that there isn't a specific way to test for drowning, and it's done more by process of elimination. Since there were no pre-death signs of injury, assault, altercations, gunfire, or drug intoxication, drowning was just the most likely remaining option. A toxicology report said that Jelani tested positive for caffeine and that there was evidence of nicotine and cannabis use, but nothing really out of the ordinary. And the family was pretty unhappy with this report, and they are correct in saying that an accidental drowning doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would he go somewhere he had never been before, in the middle of a school day, to go swimming? Not to mention he was an avid swimmer, which doesn't make drowning impossible, but it does make it unlikely. Rather than saying accidental drowning, police started to push the narrative that Delani had committed suicide by drowning. However, he had no known mental health issues, and it doesn't make any sense that a talented swimmer would attempt to drown themselves. Carmen herself has said, quote, Jelani was an avid swimmer, and an avid swimmer doesn't drown himself, end quote. The family helped organize a march on October 26th 
to demand justice for Jelani and to pressure law enforcement to continue investigating, and this was attended by over 200 people. A second march was held on November 5th, and Carmen has said that the point of these marches was to get the case to the FBI for investigation. The Peru Police Department announced on October 28th that they had handed their files over to the FBI, but that this did not mean that the FBI was taking over the case as the lead investigators. Jelani's phone was discovered near an interstate on October 17th, completely shattered, and Carmen was not made aware of this for about two to three weeks after, on November 11th, when she found out via social media by speaking with the person who actually found the phone, whose name was Brian Dew. The police said that they were only waiting to confirm if it was actually his phone before they told her, but this still seems just like a gross mishandling of the situation. She told them to give the phone to the FBI for investigation because she had pretty much lost trust in local law enforcement, and on November 14th, it was confirmed that the phone was Jelani's. The phone has been, quote, forwarded to the FBI for further forensic testing, end quote. Since, the family has still been working hard to find answers, and on December 3rd of 2021, it was announced that they had hired attorney Ben Crump, who went on to demand that the FBI investigate this case as a federal hate crime, saying that none of it adds up and that the family deserves justice. Sergio Saratella, who performed the second autopsy, has said, quote, With respect to his location, his movement, who he was communicating with, the content of those communications, I really think that if we can find his phone, digital forensics will advance this investigation in a major way, end quote. Carmen has told an investigative reporter named Samantha Chapman that she is certain that foul play was involved in Jelani's death. She has said, quote, My kids don't come to Peru for nothing. Never was raised anywhere near here. Don't know anyone here. Jelani would not have known to come and park his car in this wooded area, end quote. She also said, quote, I guarantee you my son didn't drive himself here. Whoever brought Jelani here, they were very familiar with this area, end quote. And this does make a lot of sense, considering that the car was found in a very random area, there isn't really a plausible explanation for how Jelani found this little path, especially if he had never been to Peru and didn't know it was there. There is also the question of why there was such a distance between where his car was found and where his body was found, almost two miles. If Jelani were planning on going to the river that day, perhaps to take his own life, why would he have parked so far away? and why would he have taken the time to remove his license plates? The removed license plates are a major red flag for me especially, and I can't come up with any sort of explanation for this, besides someone trying to slow an investigation by making it harder to identify the car as Jelani's. However, in that case, foul play would have had to have been involved, and Jelani would have had to have been in Peru under coercion. Jelani's family are in no way alone in their suspicions, and on Wednesday, December 22nd, the Omega Sci-Fi fraternity, which Jelani was a part of at Alabama A&M, announced that it is offering a $15,000 reward for any information that leads to the arrest of the person responsible for Jelani's death, so treating it especially as a case in which foul play was involved. The fraternity's international president, Dr. David Marion, has said, quote, I hope that through our efforts, along with the FBI's full involvement, we can continue to keep Jelani Day's mysterious death in the minds of all Americans and move this investigation forward through our committed action. 
which shall always go far beyond rhetoric, end quote. And the announcement by the fraternity came on after, on December 13th, the FBI's Jelani Day Joint Task Force offered their own reward of $10,000, and it has been reported that FBI Special Agent Ken Hoffman is currently working to set up a meeting with the family to work together in order to solve the case. As of today, there have been no updates on any information that may have been found on the phone, and the FBI still has not taken the lead in this investigation. However, the phone is still in their possession and they are looking into it. Hopefully, Jelani's phone will be the breakthrough lead that the Day family has been waiting and praying for. However, for the moment, there are no updates to the case, and if foul play was involved, there are no suspects. It is hard to say for sure whether foul play resulted in Jelani's death, since there are no suspects and there isn't any information concerning who might have wanted to hurt Jelani or if it was just a random crime. However, based on the circumstances, they're just much too odd to rule out foul play. It's hard to comprehend why Jelani would have left his car in such a random place, somehow traveled two miles to the river, and not to mention removed his license plates, which is again just a very strange detail. It makes sense that the police should be seriously considering the possibility that something sinister happened to Jelani, and if so, those parties need to be brought to justice. Currently, the FBI's Jelani Day Joint Task Force is actively seeking information and the cooperation of the public, asking people to submit tips anonymously via 1-800-CALL-FBI. The family is also still working hard and constantly posting updates to their Facebook page, and they just recently held a town hall meeting online in order to give everyone updates on what's happening in the case. So if you are interested, again, the Facebook page will be linked in the show notes so you can go over there and give the family as much support as you can. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Crime Bistro Podcast, and if you are interested in learning more about the ongoing case of Jelani Day, all of the sources are listed in the show notes at crimebistro.com. If you have a theory of your own to share, feel free to head over and visit the podcast on Instagram at crimebistropodcast or on YouTube to leave a comment and to see some behind-the-scenes updates on the episodes to come. With that, this story is coming to a close, so thanks again, and as always, until next time.